Good morning, everybody. Surprise, surprise. I'm Brad's mom, Pat McClendon, and uh, I'm doing God Stories number 113 this morning. Um, I was asked to do this, and it's a privilege for me. It gives me a chance to share with you guys uh, some of the things the Lord has been downloading in me that uh, I would love to be able to impart some truths to you and uh, maybe bring us into a greater understanding of the Lord in us. I want to give you a little bit of background of the message that I'm going to bring is uh, I started this journey with this, with the Lord. I was in uh, church about three, four Sundays ago, and uh, I was really convicted about being familiar with the Lord and how familiarity uh, breeds contempt, which means disrespect, and how familiar I had become with the Lord to the point that I no longer really uh, drew from the benefits that was actually mine or, or yours, and neither did I truly know him. Familiarity keeps you from knowing the Lord. And the thing that we have to recognize is that to know the Lord is an eternal thing. You always get to know the Lord, and he never does anything the way you think he should. And one of the things that, that familiarity does, it causes us to become complacent and lazy and we presuppose uh, how the Lord should do things. Even when Jesus walked the earth, the people, his community, was so familiar with him, they did not realize it was God in the flesh walking among them because of their familiarity. Everything he did, they would even uprise against it. Even on the Sabbath when he would heal, their familiarity would cause them to persecute him because they were even familiar with their laws. So familiarity uh, is not a good thing. We, he, we are serving and living in and having our being in a God who moves continually and changes and changes. You're changed from glory to glory. And from each change, we have to be willing to make the shift and make the change. And so through this, uh, it started me realizing how because of my familiarity, that I had laid aside many of the benefits that is ours through Jesus and what Jesus actually did for us on the cross. We have benefits. It's like having an insurance policy with benefits. But yet if you don't draw from those benefits or even understand the benefits, you have maybe even, you could have a million dollars in a bank, but if you don't go to that bank and write those checks, you're not going to enjoy it, right? So we have benefits 
from the work that Jesus did for us. And we read in Psalms 104, and it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. He, he says, we forget, we are not to forget all of our benefits. Let me pull that up. I'm going to read that for you, you guys. I'm sorry, it's in 103.1. Psalms 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Well, bless the Lord, O my soul, is my mind, my will, and my emotions. I have to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, when my soul is saying something else. Then it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, again. Then David says, now don't forget, soul, the benefits, all of his benefits. He forgives all our iniquities. That's a benefit. He heals our diseases. That's a benefit. He redeems your life from destruction. Another benefit. And he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Another benefit. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Great benefits. So as I began to contemplate this, I said, Father, we have in the church lost the understanding or have forgotten the benefits of the cross. The cross's purpose was not to get us to heaven. But the purpose of the cross is for that we might have life the life of Jesus in us, which can be manifested through our mortal flesh. That's in 2 Corinthians 4.11. In 2 Corinthians 5.14-17 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we are convinced. We're not familiar. We are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. Jesus has died for all. And all have died. And he died for all that those who live must no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. So his death was for the purpose of manifesting himself in us. Through his death, we live. What a benefit is that? Then it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Now think about that. We're a new creation. Then it says, old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Well, think about that. Don't be familiar with that. Because old things have actually passed away and we are a new creation in Christ. But our problem is, is that we've got to learn to build new habits. 
So we ask ourselves, well, what are we, what am I really? And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, forgive me because I don't want to ever be familiar with you. I want to know you. I want to know the fullness of who you are. And to know you is a revelation of you in me. So I asked myself, well, what am I familiar with? And then I go, well, you know what? We can even be familiar with sin habits. Because here's what we say. Well, that's just the way I am. Or that's how I was raised. That's familiarity. We have not switched from the old to the new. So the cross did not expose our sins. It freed us and opened a way for us to live this new life. It's the gate that gets us there. To be transformed into his image by the renewing of my mind. My mind has got to make the shift. It's got to come to the understanding and the realization of what Jesus actually did for us. I think of how, if I can use this as an example, we were pawned out. It's like if you take something to the pawn store and you pawn, say, a diamond ring and they pay you, say, $10,000 for a diamond ring. We were pawned out through Adam. We were actually pawned out to, we were sold out to Satan. Jesus came and he paid for the money back and redeemed us back out. So we were pawned out, but he came and redeemed us and paid that price. So our benefits is now we're new. We're no longer under that old system of condemnation, guilt, all that goes with it. But now we're being renewed in our mind to the mind of Christ. And as we're being renewed to the mind of Christ, we're being actually transformed where we really know that we know that we know that we no longer live, but it is Christ that lives in us. And we begin to manifest his life on this earth as he lives and has his way in us. Now the cross was the final judgment on sin. Jesus was the sacrifice lamb. We all know that, but see, here we go again. You go, well, I'm familiar with that. Are we? Have we allowed that to become so familiar with that that we don't really recognize the value and the meaning of that? Sanctification, then, is the work of the cross in us. We have been sanctified, set apart, and it's the work of the cross in us till we come into maturity perfect forever. We need to understand 
what Jesus did for us on the cross. Those are our benefits. The cross is perfect. All our needs are met through the finished work. What are our needs? He bore our sicknesses, our infirmities on that cross. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. I'll give you these scriptures and you can look them up because we probably won't have time to go and read all of them. And then 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15. By one sacrifice, he has, he has sanctified us. He has set us apart where the Father sees us as sons and daughters. And we're in the process of becoming mature sons and daughters. We are being transformed into his image so that when the Father sees us, he sees his Son. All the way back to Edom, Adam, Jesus took this. When Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished, he took that finished work all the way back to Adam. That's where we were pawned out. Because when we were born, we were born with this sin nature of Adam. But now we no longer have that. So Jesus then says, it's finished, Father. In other words, I've done the work. I've gone all the way back to the beginning, and I've paid the price. So the cross, then, is the center of God's provision, of all of God's provision. Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read that. Let me pull this up. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, stricken by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So it says, surely, 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 he's borne our griefs. Now in the Hebrew, griefs means sickness. And then it says he's carried our sorrows. The Hebrew there means sorrows. So when we, before the cross, we have these sicknesses even of our minds, sicknesses of our soul, which always goes back to self and always wants to usurp the benefits that Jesus paid for us on the cross. Iniquity means to our own way. It's a rebel. So Jesus then says that the Lord has laid on him. Think about this. The Lord laid on Jesus the rebellious 
rebel of all of us was laid on Jesus. He took it. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when you look at iniquity in the Hebrew, it means all the evil consequences of rebellion. Think about that. Not just for me, but for the whole world. All the evil consequences were laid on Jesus. All the ways of rebellion and the punishments of it was laid on him. Rebellion, consequences, and the punishments. Think about that. That we read in scripture that he was so marred because he became sin. He did not sin. He became sin. He laid his divinity down and took on our sinful nature, which was given to us through Adam, and became sin, that we might be free. 1 Corinthians 15, 45-47 speaks of the last Adam. The second man, Jesus, was the last Adam. He was a man carrying God. He was the last Adam that gave his life that we might become who we were created for in the beginning. Now the cross, on that cross, Jesus bore that rebellion and he bore the evil consequences. So there is an exchange there's an exchange when he says, it's finished, Father. It's all done. So all the evil came upon Jesus that all the good, think about this, all the good might be avail available to us. There's two aspects of the exchange in Isaiah 53, 40, 4 through 5. The punishment of our peace was put upon Jesus. He was punished that we might be forgiven. That's so powerful. It's just hard for my little pea brain mind to grasp that. God does not compromise with sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid those wages with his life. He laid down his life in order that we might live. So an exchange took place. He redeemed us back out of that pawn shop. Colossians 1, 19-21 Please look these up when you get a chance and Ephesians 1 7 and Romans 7 read those if you get a chance today so we have been bought back from Satan to God Jesus bought me he bought you from slavery of sin he was punished that I might be forgiven 
Jesus carried not only that, he carried my sickness. Because when you read in the old scriptures, there was the Israelites always connected sickness with sin. Even though many times that was not true, because remember the story when Jesus healed a blind man that was born sin, born blind, they wanted to say, well, what sin did his mom and dad do that caused him to be blind? But they saw sickness as connected with sin, and many times it is. But he carried my sickness away. What a benefit. And he carried my pain away, another benefit. So I'm healed through the atonement. Now, when we talk about healed, that doesn't just mean because I'm sick on a bed. My mind is healed. Remember, old things are passed away. All things have become new. That is a fact. Let's not get familiar with this. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to really show us and reveal to us and awaken us to what this means. We no longer live and have our being under that old nature. We now have a new nature in Christ. We are seated with him in heavenly places. So we need to learn to receive and appropriate the benefits of the cross. Now saved means to make well in the Greek. He has made us well, whole. Our wholeness now is here. Through his resurrection, we have a resurrected life in order that we might live. Matthew 9, 21 through 22, when it says well there, means saved. And Mark 6, 56, well there also means saved. And Luke 8, 35 through 36 Deliverance from demons was healed. Luke 8, 47 through 50. Healed means saved. So when we say saved, my familiar mind says, oh good, I'm not going to hell. But see, that's not what it really means. I'm saved from my old Adamic nature. I'm healed from what it does, the benefits of my old Adamic nature, I no longer want. I want the benefits that Jesus paid for me on that cross. Acts 4 through 8, heal means saved, it means salvation. It produces wholeness. 2 Timothy 4 through 18, says, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Think about that. He has delivered us from every evil work 
Not only has he delivered us, but he has preserved us for his heavenly kingdom. That is not for the future. That is for now. Now all things have become new. So a great salvation is that I find out what is it that I, he has provided me because it's such a great salvation. What a great salvation is that. So Hebrews 10, 14 says, By one sacrifice he has perfected forever those who have been sanctified. Do you realize that by that one sacrifice you were perfected forever? That when the Father looks at you, he sees his Son. He sees Jesus. And Jesus sits right at the right hand of the Father as a testimony to the Father that the blood sacrifice that he paid is still there. Is still saying at the mercy seat is still being applied. That we have been preserved. We have been set apart for this heavenly kingdom life here not heaven. So there's a great exchange that was made on Calvary. Jesus was punished that we might have peace. Without that, we did not have peace. Peace with God. You might have a false peace, but only can the blood sacrifice bring us back into peace with God. So the shedding of his blood was through that sacrificial lamb brought back peace to us. It's a peace that really passes all understanding. It's not a peace that the world gives us but it's that peace through the shed blood of Jesus that we can now come boldly into the throne and talk to our Father. We come back to our beginnings with our Father. Sins then are acts. When we say sins, those are acts. But when we say sin, in scripture, that refers to the nature that causes us to commit sins. So Jesus became sin. He did not commit sins, but he went right down to the root of what causes us to commit sins, and that's our sin nature. He nailed that. He became that. He exchanged his divine nature to become our sin nature in order that we might be saved through that perfect sacrifice of his blood. So through his sacrifice, we then became the righteousness of God. His righteousness 
was placed upon us. Amazing. It's just amazing. Isaiah 53.10 God made the soul of Jesus the guilt offering. God transferred the sin of humanity on the soul of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 through 21 says, Jesus was made sin that I might be made righteous with his righteousness, the righteousness of God. Isaiah 61 10, first clothe me with the garment of salvation. Second, he has clothed me with a robe of righteousness. What benefits is that? See, I found that I was so familiar with these scriptures that I just didn't even know what how to apply them, or I just, they just that's just scripture. That's what he did, but that has to become the reality. Those are my benefits. Those are your benefits. What freedom is that? Justified means made righteous. So to be justified means that though I deserve death, I am found not guilty, acquitted, reckoned righteousness, and made righteousness. So just as if I never sinned is who Jesus, the benefit that Jesus gave me. And I have to keep that as a position in God because it's through Christ that these benefits have become mine. Isaiah 54, 17 tells us that no weapon formed against us will prosper. So we have to reject the accusations of the old, the old even with our tongue, that my tongue is in such a habit of even speaking the wrong things that I have to learn to reject the habits that I have formed and accept the new. My old man has to come to the realization that it is dead. It no longer lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I cannot live by the spirit, capital spirit, as long as I allow my flesh to dictate what it, it's always dictated. I have to be controlled by the Spirit, which gives life. And in that, there is no condemnation. But my flesh always wants to remind me of who I was, what I did, or any of that because it wants to bring back to me the position of condemnation and guilt. I'm no longer, neither are you there because condemnation and guilt 
always ties you down. It makes you feel unworthy. Folks, I want to tell you, we were unworthy, but now we're worthy through Christ. We're sons and daughters of the Most High. And we have these benefits that we must learn how to appropriate them in our lives. Adam then was the Adam, the last Adam, which I'm speaking of Jesus, says it, he paid the price for the consequences of the first Adam. That is amazing to me. That is so amazing. How many years, how many years did that go back to? where he then stood before the Father and said, Father, here it is. It's finished. It's done. Mankind now can come back to their beginnings of who they were in you before the foundations of the world, before Adam sinned. That's just amazing. Think about that. You have actually been transferred back to the your beginnings before Adam sinned. You're free. You're actually free. So life in the flesh is in the blood. Or the soul of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17:11. We're speaking now of the cross. All of this that I'm speaking is the benefits that we have of the cross. So Leviticus 17:11 speaks of the blood. The blood had to be shed, shed in order for the satisfaction of a holy father. Because it's the life of our flesh that's in that blood. So Jesus' blood is pure. It's holy. It's got the DNA of the Father. The blood that Jesus shed was actually his Father's DNA. So the, our life now for our flesh is through his blood. So when the Spirit leaves us, if my spirit left me, I would cease from breathing. But if my soul leaves me, I quit living. You know, we think of people have lost their mind. Their soul has quit living. But if my spirit leaves me, I quit breathing. So my life of my flesh is in the, the spirit, is in that blood. So my soul rejoices in the fact that I now carry the DNA of the Father because it's Christ in me who is the hope of glory. So how did Jesus then pour out his soul unto death? Through the blood then is how he did it. He was even, he, the blood that he started shedding was even at the beginning of Gethsemane. 
he wrestled with the fact that he was going to lay down his very divinity to pick up the humanity of the whole world of evil rebellion and take on the sin nature of Adam. So the last Adam took on the sin nature of the first Adam and he poured out his soul through his blood because it speaks of in Gethsemane the exchange that was made that he even sweat drops of blood. Then not only that, he sweat drops of blood when they came and took him before Pilate. They beat him. They stripped him and beat him 49 stripes. And I understand, I have not, cannot prove this, but I understand there are 49 uh, sequences for diseases. There's categories of 49 under diseases. So if it says he was bruised for our iniquities, he was whipped for our diseases, and by his stripes we're healed. So by those stripes that are still on his back, as a testimony to the Father that I have paid this price to redeem mankind back to you. So his blood then was poured out and we through his blood had not only redemption but we have healing. So the, uh, Jesus even spoke about this and when he spoke about this <clears throat> it made people very angry when he looked at them and said unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have none you cannot have anything to do with me they went you have got to you've just lost your mind right here because we don't eat flesh neither do we drink blood so what jesus was talking about is that he is the life-giving spirit and it comes through his blood his blood that he shed is our life-giving spirit. Now, how do we appropriate the benefits by entering into the spirit? How do we appropriate the benefits which he has given to us through the cross? And I said, Father, how do we do this? It's not by works. It not, it's not by power but it's by the Spirit. But see, sometimes that even blocks my own mind because I say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm beginning to understand that it's His Spirit in me that begins to do the work of these benefits in me and through me. And by faith, I have to believe, I believe in these benefits. Because faith, see, comes by hearing. Hearing the voice of the Father. So the voice of the Father says, Hey guys, it's finished. 
And these are your benefits that I give to you freely through the finished work of the cross and the resurrecting power of Jesus then has given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that these benefits might become ours. They're ours, but what I mean is that we might begin to draw from them and they begin to work in our lives. So I, there are four aspects of the cross. Uh, and I'm going to give you the exchange that Jesus exchanged for us on the cross. Number one, he was punished. That means he exchanged punishment to give us peace. And number two, he was wounded. That means he was wounded that we might be healed. He was made sin that we might have the righteousness of God. He died our death that I might share his life. He was cursed that I might be blessed that I might receive the blessings of Abraham. Think about that. Galatians 3, Genesis 24. Abraham was blessed in all things. So Jesus then was cursed that I might receive the blessings of Abraham. Galatians 3.1 Paul looked at the Galatians and I'm going to look this up and we're going to read through this and see what we can come up with. Let me get it here. Paul looked at the Galatian church. He wrote them a letter and he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. And as I pondered on this, I thought, Father, have we been bewitched? I have to say yes. Because many of the people in the body of Christ has been bewitched the very, very benefits that has been given to us has been compromised and stolen and watered down. We don't even really recognize nor do we appropriate the benefits that is actually ours as a son and a daughter of the Father through Jesus Christ. So he says, who has bewitched you? He could not believe that they no longer were living in the very truths of the gospel that he had brought to them. Somehow they had lost it. 
and they exchanged the truths for the lies. Then he says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Then he goes on and says, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? And see, that's how we have been bewitched. We have now, we go back to the works of the law because the works of the law makes us feel good. It makes us think that we're serving the Lord through works. But that is a lie. The Spirit then is now watered down and we no longer live through the Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon us and lives in us through Christ. We have that very Spirit. When he told the disciples to wait upon high that you receive now the Holy Spirit, that very Spirit that now lives in me will live in you. So what happens is when we get bewitched, the guilt and the condemnation comes up on us and we think, oh my goodness, I've sinned or I, I need to re I feel dry, I need to read more, I need to fast more, I need to blah, blah, whatever it takes to make us feel good. That's not by faith. That's not by walking by faith. Faith means you begin to appropriate and reject the old for the new. And it's not about feelings, man. Doesn't have a thing to do with our feelings. So he said, you have now, you received the spirit, but now you're going back to the works. So he says, you're foolish. He actually says, you're foolish, in which I have to agree, we are. I know I've been. See, he says, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by flesh? There's no way that we can be made perfect, which here means mature, through the works of our flesh. Never. Because our flesh has no good thing in it. Then he says, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So, I go, okay, Lord, we've got to learn to hear. We've got to learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. We've got to lay down our works, which are nothing but filthy rags before the Father, and learn to hear by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit in order to appropriate the benefits of the work of the cross. 
Then he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham believed God. So see, familiarity robs you of your belief. Because when you become so familiar with something or with things, they no longer produce in you the power of those things. So Abraham believed God. We too are going to have to repent back to believing by faith the voice of the Spirit which declares to us the truth of the work of the cross in us and through us. And we begin to appropriate by faith the benefits of the cross. Now, we appropriate by faith by learning to listen to the voice of the Father, to the voice of the Spirit, and get His mind. Remember how Jesus lived? He lived by the Spirit. He said, I only do the things I see my Father do, and I say the things I hear my Father say. He lived by his voice. And I'm reminded of the children of Israel when they were brought out of Egypt. They went through all the miracles to get them out. And when they came out, the Red Sea was opened up to take them through. They got over there. It did not take them long to begin to murmur and complain against Moses. I go, what in the world? But see, that's exactly what we do. Even the miracles and the works of the, of the Spirit does not, <coughs> excuse me, convince us or, or cause us to walk by faith. Those are things that just gets us there. They started murmuring and complaining against Moses even after they had seen all that God did for them. So they go through 40 years in the wilderness and the whole time of 40 years in the wilderness, God fed them. He covered them by day with a cloud, by night with a fire. He protected them. He watched over them as the good shepherd watches over his sheep. They became familiar with him. So familiar with him that when he wanted to have a one-to-one -one contact with them, that he was going to meet them on the mountain and the preparation was made, that when he started down that mountain coming for his presence to be made known, the earth started shaking, everything started changing. They fled. Because, see, they were familiar with how they thought that he was. We can't be familiar with the Lord. There's no way. We've got to get this out of us. We've got to have an expectation a joyful expectation of who he is. It's like hunting for a, a mystery. He is a mystery. 
but he will let us know him as we seek him through faith. So when God then comes down to reveal his glory to these whole thousands or hundreds of people that he called his own Israelites, they fled and they said, Moses, we don't want to have anything to do with this. You do it. And you know what? That's what we do. That's what we do with our pastors. That's what we do with our leaders. We say, hey, y'all do it. Y'all tell us. Where the, the benefits of the cross is for us also to be able to enter into all that God has for us. To hear his voice. To have a fellowship with him. Through the sufferings of Jesus Christ, we have that fellowship. Now, they went through the wilderness for 40 years. The, the beginning of the generation, the adults died out. And here they are with grown kids, even younger kids. That's now getting ready. The end of that has come. And now they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan, into the promise. See, we've crossed over the Jordan into the promise. But if you're still familiar with the way he did you in your past, you won't be able to make it into the promised land. Or even if you get there, you won't be able to make it in the promised land. Because in the promised land, God quit providing them manna. Their shoes started wearing out. They had then to begin to appropriate themselves the very works of God. And the way they had to do it is they had to hear his voice. He said, okay, guys. I'm just paraphrasing here. Okay, guys, now the tables have turned. You're going over into the promised land that I promised you. But this time, you're going to have to listen to my voice. That's what we've got to learn to do. We've got to learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And to believe it once you hear it. And then begin to appropriate it. Because see they started listening to the voice. But they got tested. Because once you hear. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by word being spoken. Once you hear there's a testing that will come. But you have to grab that word. By faith. And begin to stand and appropriate that word. Not by works. Not by power. But by rest. You rest in him. That once he speaks it's done. That's what the cross did for us. That's our benefits. So let's recognize. Have we been bewitched? Let's see this. 
Let's get back and appropriate the very things that the cross has done for us. Now I want to read, and I want this to be uh, a prayer for you. It's in Colossians 1. Let me find it here. I think that's it. That's not it. I'm trying to refer to uh, that our eyes can be opened. Let me find this. Yeah, it's Colossians 1, 9. This is what I want to pray for each one of us. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, the day you've heard this, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. So let's not be familiar with the Lord. I love you all. God bless you. Have a great day.